Powered by Rev Media in partnership with TSN, it is season five. This is episode eight of the Rain Dregs Hockey Podcast, and it is presented by our title sponsor, Canadian Club Whiskey and Ray Ferraro. I've got good news, my friend. You know this invitation series that we've been promoting now for seven yes. straight episodes on Ray and Dregs, the CC 15-year-old Sherry Cask, which is a... Say the, ca- say the cask again. I like the way you say that. The CC fifteen-year-old sherry cask. Yeah, but what what's it, what type of barrels? Uh, the Oloroso sherry cask, but it's a signature oh, CC. It. It's the twelve-year-old whiskey, right? That's finished yeah. with that secondary aging, which is a key part of all of this in the Oloroso sherry cask, and you know, beautiful blend with the added richness and sweetness of sherry. The good news is, Ray. The powerful people at CC sent me an email yesterday, being Thursday, saying, please tell Ray that we've got samples coming your way. (laughs) So the only thing you need to worry about is hiding it from Landon. That's all you need to worry about. Matt has moved away from home, so now Landon (laughs) is the issue. So, yes, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Oh, can't wait. You're you're still on the road. Um, looking forward to the weekend as well. It's been a busy week yeah. for all of us, right? Your your yeah. weeks get even that much more busy because of the the travel element, obviously, as you do your games right. for ESPN. You know, relatively busy week. Thursday is always a busy one because you know we've got the Leafs regional games. A lot of them land on Thursday. So anyway, this is just first world issues. And by the way, Ryan Callahan of ESPN will join us today on the podcast. Yeah. Great stories. Um, go out to take Tiny for a walk this morning. I don't know how you feel about this when you walk Ollie, but I'm meticulous when it comes to looking after my dog, right? She drops on the path, whatever. I'm picking it up. That's just sure. what you do as a responsible dog owner. So yeah, it annoys me when I see it, you know, even on the boulevard or in the whatever, it bugs me when I see it lying there. Get up this morning, walk out, Ray. And right off my front step on my front lawn is a ginormous batch of dog crap. Now, do you do you think that maybe that dog was unattended? I don't know, but I've got security cameras. <laughs> I have to go through security. I, I'm not in a state of mind because I'm tired that I, I'm going to see it because I'm worried I'm going to identify it's a neighbor. And without question, there will be a confrontation, a verbal confrontation. I'm not going to go berserk and, you know, the right. road rage sort of nonsense. Um, so I'm just going to let it sit. I mean, th- no. the dog Did stuff, you shovel I, it out of there? Uh, yes, I did. We can't cursing along a, the way. So yes, that's the start to my end of the week. Start to the weekend is me dealing with somebody else's dog mess. So well, at least you didn't drop your size 10 shoe in it. That would have been fabulous. <laughs> well, it was close. It was like the pile was about four inches off my front <laughs> sidewalk. So anyway, um, good on you for collecting Ryan Callahan for us. Um, yeah, again, I I still think even though I I enjoy the work of Callahan on ESPN, both in studio mm. and in game, two separate talents, as you know, uh, I still view him as a as a player, right? I mean, yeah. he's not that far removed. So, looking forward to uh, some of the stories. Yeah, he's a he's a funny guy, man. He is, and he's got lots of energy, and he 
he ground out a career that was not healthy for the last three, four years. He had hip Oof. problems and back problems. And man, he just, he, when he left the game, there was, there was not much left to give. No. Hey, Canada, Tim's NHL trading cards are back with an all-new set, so go get ready, unpack the thrill, and score your favorite hockey stars. Grab them immediately before they're gone. They are available now only at Tim's. And, of course, it's our Tim Hortons headlines. Ray, um, what better place to start than with the Edmonton Oilers? Um, I mean, only four games in, but I think it's fair to say that they're in a funk. That's where they're at. They lose... 4-1 4-1 of the Flyers, so 17 goals against in the four games played. Evan Bouchard had a disastrous game, not alone, but tough night for him. Connor McDavid had zero shots on goal and coughed up a turnover that led to a shorthanded goal against. Overall, lack of effort, Ray, prompted head coach Jay Woodcroft to share his truth post-game. Not to our standard, yeah, certainly. Uh, not, not good enough, excuse my language <laughs> we don't drop many f-bombs on the ray and dregs hockey that maybe we'll beat but who knows but <laughs> i mean talk about brutal honesty and it, it kind of summarizes not only that night in philadelphia but at least two of the four games played i mean what are you seeing is is, is it too soon to start airing showing concern for this group well yes but Yes, but no. I, and, and the reason I say that is it's if, if you win four games in a row, which they will um, at some point here, then this becomes something in the, in the rearview mirror. The reason I say no is they, in, in my opinion, the, the players put way too much emphasis on the start of the season. They made the media made a big deal out of the captain's practices. Everybody get back here early so we can all get going and hit the ground running. The problem is if you stub your toe, which is always likely, then you end up with this. It's Mm -hmm. early panic. It's early nervousness. Um, Bouchard's had a brutal start to the season. Um, Now we got to worry about him. But if you didn't mind him four games ago, then you don't mind him now. Like four games doesn't change, shouldn't change your view on a particular player. They haven't been sharp. They, the, the problem, the problem becomes when you can't identify what the one issue is and then you start playing Mm whack-a-mole and that's kind of a little bit where they're at. It, It always comes back to simplify, play more straight, play more direct get yourself involved. Now, Evander Kane's had a bad start, right? He just, he has to be involved. He has to help set a physical presence. Him and Zach Hyman in particular, McLeod as well. Like they've got it. It's hard to play that way all the time, but mm-hmm. they need that from those players now. Mm-hmm. The, the defense needs to sort itself out in the sense that what I see anyway is the more guys try to help, the worse it gets. Right. So don't worry about that guy's job. Oh, I got to help him do your job. And, and it, it doesn't often work that way because everybody wants to help. Everybody starts to feel it. And when you, when I hear Woodcroft drop an F bomb like that, that's always the peril when a coach comes out 
after a game and speaks. He's been standing behind the bench for three hours. So that's been bubbling up for three hours. Mm-hmm. And he's had no one to say it to <laughs> except the players and his coaches in the coach's room. And so it just comes out. And I've mm-hmm. seen that with coaches in the last few years where the next day they sort of walk back the the statement a little bit. Yeah. And really they shouldn't because that's probably their honest appraisal. This could be too simple an observation. And and hopefully the group is past it and we're going to learn in the very near future in Edmonton. Edmonton. But it, it does almost seem like they continually look at McDavid and Dreisaitl and just say, well, oh, yeah. they're going to find a way. They'll score the goals, right? Uh, instead of doing exactly what you said, if everybody contributes with the skill set that they were brought in to work with, then you've got a real good contending Edmonton Oilers team. It just still feels like most of the group <laughs> looks at Leon and Connor and says, okay, well, go ahead, bail us out again tonight. Well, they it's been a pretty good plan for, for a lot of time, <laughs> right? Because they do. But what also happens in reverse is they take on more weight. Yeah, They try to do more by themselves. And the game is just not built for one player. It, it really, or two players, it really isn't. Mm-hmm. And across the board, they've not gotten enough from enough people. And their practice today, their next game, that really is a, is a goal to, to try and simplify and have people look at their own feet and do their own job, not worry about somebody else. And I'm not saying they're all pointing fingers. What I mean is that everybody's trying to help, and the more you help, the worse it gets. So the flip side is we look at a team that, you know, the Oilers clearly want to compare themselves to, and that's the defending Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights. Not their prettiest, but they win a tough game in in Winnipeg. They find a way. Logan Thompson held him in, Winnipeg pushed in that one. And then there's Jack Eichel, right? Late in the contest with a, a timely power play goal. How dialed in is this team? It does feel like we're going to have to talk a lot about the Vegas Golden Knights this season, at least in the first half. Well, it it seemed early in the preseason, like as people were talking about who's going to be good and who has a, who's a contender, it was almost like Vegas got overlooked but not really. They were overlooked perhaps because I, I think most people felt, well, they're just, they got the same team. They're going to be really good again. And so the discussion points became around other teams. Could the Oilers be as good? Could Colorado be as good? The Eastern Conference is in a little bit of a transitional phase. And, and then, oh yeah, and then Vegas, they'll be really good. <laughs> well, I, I actually felt like Vegas had a, another gear, even though they just, they were not going to be beat by the time they got to the finals because there's their leading score this year will not have 66 points. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's what Eichel had last year. And they, the, the problem when you play them is they play a game that they can, they can reach a, a high level of pretty easily for their team mm-hmm. because they're big, because they're generally going to be pretty physical um, and it's not out of character for those players to play that way. So it, it just kind of like what they do. They've got really good goaltending at a really affordable cost. Yeah. All right. Um, 
there's kind of a social media joke that's been rolling around the Washington Capitals, fair or unfair. And it, it connects with the Kuznetsov shootout attempt. Right. That took right. nine seconds. And and people are like, oh, okay. No, that's that's just Kuznetsov, and that's the pace of the Washington Capitals, which uh, you know, it's 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 kind of humorous. Um, but a lot also being made, Ray, of the slow start of Alex Ovechkin, back-to-back games without a shot. So is it a combination of things that Look, we've seen great players go through many slumps. McDavid mm-hmm. didn't have a shot, as we acknowledged earlier last right. night against Philadelphia. Um, so is it a combination of Ovi just going through something early on, but also father time, catching hold here? It's not as easy. He's, he's probably just about as strong as he was in his prime, but he can't be as fast and he can't be as nimble in all of those things. No, no. I mean, I, I've had, uh, I did their home opener. Um, they lost to Pittsburgh and it, it was like Pittsburgh skated in a different speed the whole night. And I left yeah, the game going, yeah. this is, this is going to be an issue for Washington is, is the pace that they're able to play. So part of it, as it uh, relates to Ovechkin is that clearly he doesn't move like he used to. Most guys that are 37 just don't, right? You just don't. Um, The bigger issue for me, or not the bigger, every bit as big an issue is Backstrom and Kuznetsov don't move like they used to either. Mm -hmm. And so Ovi could play a pretty stationary game, uh, particular in the offensive zone, and those two guys would find him, find the puck, get it to him, put it in a shooting position. That doesn't happen anywhere near as much. Ovi can't create his own shot like he used to. And so it's, uh, I think in combination, those are are two pretty significant issues for them. And it, it, it doesn't appear to me to have a simple solution. The, the one thing I would say, and you know, I'm, I'm a little leery of even saying this because what the hell am I telling a guy with 700 goals? But I think he's got to get more active in the offensive zone again. He's got he he's too stationary. He's waiting for the shot, and I think he's got to create the shot by moving. And I always remember when I worked with uh, the one year I worked with Brett Hull. Um, I learned so much from him uh, about what scorers do, and you know, and he has his way of saying things. And basically, he. He put the onus on the, the receiver of the pass more than the guy passing it. He's like, that guy has to get open. He'd say in his voice, why is he standing over there? Never going to get it over there. And you'd look and go, oh, he's right. Like, there's no chance the puck's getting there. And I think Ovi has had a start where he's way too stationary. And he needs to move around because he's going to have to help Backstrom and Kuznetsov. It's not going to mm-hmm. be the other way. Ryan Callahan joining us on the Rain Riggs Hockey Podcast. A couple of uh, quick things that I want your opinion on, Ray, here. In the Tim Hortons headlines, the draft decentralization idea. Mm. Big news this week, right? Uh, Teams will vote on whether to change the traditional draft process on Tuesday. And based on our collective insider sense, the change is going to pass. And you know, just to briefly explain what it means is you, you'll you still have a host venue for the draft. The players will be there. One or two, maybe three representatives from each of the 32 clubs will be there. The commissioner, Gary Bettman, will be there. 
you know, the brass of the National Hockey League will be there. But purely through convenience and to a degree, some cost savings, the hockey operations departments of all NHL teams will stay in their home city so that they can continue to do their business, be it draft related or trade related or prepping for free agency on July 1st, mm. which all that has been condensed because of COVID, right? So a tremendous amount of work has to get done and you throw in some travel snarls and it's become an issue for teams. So I want your takeaway on that. Mine very quickly is, geez, I just worry about the overall experience, you know, of the player, of the kids. Because for me, there's a difference. You crawl up onto that stage in the big venue and you've got the commissioner there and you've got the owner there, you've got the GM, you've got the coach, you've got the staff, and you've got that grand picture. Yeah, you're still going to get your pictures, but they're not going to be immediate. And, you know, they'll be part of a celebration back at the the home city. So what's your take on this decentralization idea? Well, I, I look at the NFL draft. Um, Which where, is the model, I think, right? Yeah. Right. And so, you know, the players get on stage, they take a picture with the commissioner. Well, maybe you have it in a much smaller venue and those representatives that you're talking about are there. So everything basically gets shrunk. Yeah. And so, the GM still gets up on stage. Um, maybe the head coach is there or the head scout. That's it. You get up there. You make the pick. The The table for the Boston Bruins has those representatives sitting there, but they're all in contact back home with the entire table of scouts that are there. Yeah. There's, there's a lot. The, it, a lot of it could be pared down really easily. Uh, I don't think it's it's not going to change the quality of the draft or it will change the the bigness of it. The you know, there won't be a full building. The next day, by the way, day two, that could be anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Because they just if you've ever if people have ever had an opportunity to sit at day two of the draft, man, that thing is like bing, 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 bing. They're going through there fast. And so um Day one is more of a show. I still think there'll be a show, but I, I don't really have a problem with it decentralizing for all the reasons you mentioned. All right, let's wrap up with this. Attendance in Winnipeg, and it's early going here, um, but the fans really haven't returned in Winnipeg post-COVID. They haven't, and it's becoming an issue. 11,521 in attendance Thursday night with the defending Stanley Cup champions in town. Pierre-Luc Dubois comes into Winnipeg with the Los Angeles Kings. Just over 11,000 show up for that game. So you're talking about anywhere between 3,800, 4,000 empty seats. And his final mm. line financially, as Mark Chipman and David Thompson have to rely on for break-even, it's going to turn ugly in Winnipeg if the fans don't show up or corporate Canada doesn't start buying blocks of tickets. I mean, that's a sad reality when you consider they had what, 10 straight years of sellouts before COVID hit. And it's a big part, Ray, you know this, why they extended Shifley and Hellebuck as quickly as they did to prove to the fan base that they're right. in it to win it. Well, it, one of the issues a smaller city always has is when there is a dip in whatever it might be that drives the economy there in any city that the margin is slim for people that go to the games. Yeah. And then 
and then you run into this. So when I, I think when we hear Quebec City mentioned all the time as a potential city, this is exactly the scenario that concerns people, is that you only have so many people that can go to the games. Now, how do they re-engage? Um, the, Jets, the Jets, when they're at their best, have you know, this high, not a high flying, but a, a pretty offensive bent to their game. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's more interesting in that regard. But there's been turmoil, there's been change. Well, turmoil in players and maybe not met expectations and doesn't take much. And pretty soon you've got some empty seats. It, it is a concern. It's sad to see. I hope they can find a way to reconnect as you know, quickly because it's, it, it's not like endless pockets all the time. Those are your Tim Hortons headlines. Tim's NHL trading cards are back. Unpack the thrill. Score your favorite icons with an all-new set. Get yours before they're gone. Only at Tim's. Our interviews on Ray and Regs are brought to us by Canadian Club Whiskey. Introducing the first release of the Canadian Club Invitation Series. As we talked about earlier, CC's 15-year-old sherry cask. All the hallmarks of classic Canadian Club with the added richness and sweetness of sherry. All right, ESPN's Ryan Callahan joining us here on the Rain Dregs podcast. And Ray, it's still, it, it feels strange for me to say that, right? I mean, 13 seasons in the National Hockey League. I'm not sure why, Callie, I envision you'd go into coaching or management. Um, so explain it. Or, or was the broadcast field just as easy to take the same path as Ferraro did many years ago? Yeah, I saw how good Ray was doing at it, so I was like, you know what? That's got to be it's got to be an easy gig. I might as well jump on that. There's no thinking in this. Yeah. No, I mean, like to be honest with you, when I was playing, it was not on my radar at all. But to be getting to this, if someone said, you know, you're going to join the media side, I would probably laugh in their face and, and said there was no chance. But um, during the World Cup, um, I made Team USA, and I didn't play because I had hip surgery, and the NHL Network had me in to um, do some games there in studio and. I told them, and basically the same thing I told ESPN at the time, too. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be good at it. I don't know if I'm going to like it, but, you know, I'll give it a shot. And, um, you know, since then, I, I enjoy doing it. I like talking hockey. And, um, you know, after that, it's kind of was always on my radar. And then when I stopped playing, um, I did a little bit with the NHL Network. And then, obviously, once ESPN got the gig, it was uh, it was a no-brainer to join that team once they called. So it's, uh, it's been a bit of a learning curve. It's been fun. Um but yeah, I, I probably would have pictured myself the same thing, either, you know, management side or some coaching things, but um, kind of stumbled into this and I, I've really enjoyed it. You know, you, you mentioned the end of your career, you couldn't play at hip surgery, man. The last couple of years, Callie, were, were pretty hard for you, right? Yeah. Like back problems, hip problems mm. and the surgeries that go with it. At what point did you realize, like, I don't think I'm going to be able to be what I want to be on the ice anymore? Was it right away when you got hurt? Or yeah, I mean, it started with the hip surgeries. There's no question. I, I lost a, I lost a step, right? And and you could see the next. End up having two hip surgeries. I missed a full year after my second one, getting a revision. Then come back after that, my playing time started to decrease. I, I wasn't didn't have the same jump I did, um, you know. And then I had some back issues kind of throughout my career, but it got worse towards the end. And that last year in Tampa was basically just a bit of a nightmare. I mean, I was having back spasms just randomly. My back would be completely fine. I'd go through pregame skate. I'd get out of the car to walk into the rink and, you know, have to call the trainer and be like, I can't get out of my car. My, my back's a spasm on me, you know? So, um, you know, at that point, 
I was just frustrated with all the injuries and everything else going on, but I still thought I'd be able to get my back fixed at the end of the year. That was still the plan. And I still had a year left on my deal and I still wanted to play. And I went and saw a bunch of specialists after the year and all of them kind of gave me all the same grim news of, you know, you got degenerative disc disease in your back. Um, the only real correction is get a fusion, but with my age, my mobility, what I still could do. And even with a fusion, I couldn't play. Um, they didn't recommend that. So, um, yeah, at that point, the writing was on the wall. I, I, I kind of realized it as I went through those last couple of years, but it still was a slap in the face because I, I still felt like I could be a role player and contribute to a team. And, um, you know, just like that, it was over. And uh, But I'm blessed to be able to play as many years as I did. Now, when it, just with the way you played, right, like you had – there was so much energy and emotion in your game, and I felt like that was a strength of mine. When I retired – the next year, I even though I retired on my term, I was unprepared for how hard it was going to be. Like, yeah. I remember going to my first game. I went with Cammy. We were watching the game. The Canucks came out of the tunnel, and I started to cry. I'm like, I'm never <laughs> going to get to do this again. Like, did it? was it hard to step away, or was it easier because you knew you just couldn't play? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was hard. I mean, there's no question about that. I, I think almost those first – the first couple of months, it was almost a relief, to be honest with you, of my body was kind of felt good. You know what I mean? And it's been a while, especially with my back, since I wasn't waking up every morning and seeing how it felt or, you know, gingerly going through a practice or nervous that, it, you know, it's going to seize up on me the next day. So at, at first it was a relief and I was kind of, you know, happy in the spot I was. We spent the year in Tampa, my family and I. Um, I think a big part that actually helped me is Girardi also retired the same year. He lived a street over from me in Tampa. So we used to take our golf carts to each other's house. I had another guy to kind of lean on, hang out with. So I didn't feel completely abandoned. Um, but I think the hardest part is, you know, that year they, they go on and win a Stanley Cup, mm. you know, and as happy as I was for those guys. And, and trust me, I was almost as happy as they were. They won. But, you know, just watching those guys go around the rink and, as you say, almost going into tears, I was a kind of the same way, happy for them. But at the same time, I'm like, man, like, I went to battle with those guys for five years. We came so close, you know, four years out of the five um, or, you know, three out of the five, I should say. And um, it was hard. It was really hard. But, uh, yeah, it's it's never easy walking away from something you've played since you're three years old and, and that's all you knew. Now, you guys turned into a little bit of the Rangers South there, right? You had your boys yeah. down there with you. And um, tell us, I, I know Girardi's got, you know, Dan Girardi, I think more people know a little bit more about him. Ryan McDonough was just this like quiet yeah. shutdown machine for his whole career. Like tell us a little bit about those guys. And when you guys ended up in Tampa. Yeah. So um, yeah, I guess the first guy who came over was, uh, was Brian Boyle from that, that right. uh, from that New York team. I remember him calling me Brian Boyle and uh, Anton Strahlman the same summer. They both, they both called me and was like, Hey, you know, we're talking to Tampa right around July 1st. And I'm like, get here. We got a chance to win. Like, this is a no-brainer. We got a really good young team. Um, so those guys ended up signing. Girardi, I think, was a year later, and kind of the same type of deal. He was debating to go to Chicago. Was offering him a deal, and I'm like, "Listen, man, like where we're living, that's this team, like it's huh. it's it's an absolute no-brainer. Like get here." So he comes down. We end up training for um, Ryan McDonough, who I think is maybe the biggest guy that Tampa Bay team misses right now. He, he was the unsung hero of both those cups that they won. He's just a shot-blocking machine, plays against 
you know, the other team's top line. And, and you're right, not a lot of people know about him or, or talk about him a ton. He kind of flies under the radar. But, I mean, if I was building a decor, he'd be number <laughs> one to start with. If I'm walking into a playoff game, I want him on my back end. Like, he is such a good player and, and a huge part of why they won those two cups. So, I mean, undoubtedly you have um, relationships still with the Tampa Bay Lightning players. I mean, a guy like Steven Stamkos has been there a, a long, long time. How difficult is it for you to separate, you know, your friendship and the fact that, you know, you, you do have to analyze the game now. And I'm, 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 I'm describing it that way because I'm trying to envision what your response was when you saw Stamkos come out and you heard what he said about how disappointed he was in training camp that the Tampa Bay Lightning really – didn't engage with him on contract talks this off season. Yeah. I mean, and the thing about Stammer, I've known him for so long now and, and we're pretty tight is, you know, he's, he's not going to come out and just throw something like that off, you know, in the middle of the media, unless yeah. he, he knew he was going to say it. Obviously it's bothering him. Right. Obviously there's that frustration there. Um, you know, then going back to the end of last year, he, he said, you know, I'd love to get some talks this summer and get a deal done before the season started. And, you know, you, you look at Stammer and what he's done for that franchise and that organization, um, both on and off the ice, over a thousand games with them, captain for nine-ish years, right around yeah. there, almost 10 years, I think. Um, amount of records he owns. I mean, statue, jersey in the rafters when he's done. I mean, you name it, he's done it for the organization. So, you know, for I was, I was surprised when I heard there was no talks during the summer uh, about a contract extension. I mean, you'd think that, you know, you'd at least make some phone calls and have some dialogue about, you know, the direction the team's going in, um, maybe numbers where numbers are just to have that respect for Stammer. And I was uh, I was very surprised to hear that when he came out and said that. But um, in saying that, it, I understand his frustration. Like, yeah, I, rightfully so. I'd be frustrated as well. You know, you, you give that much to an organization. You, you think that you'd have that dialogue back and forth during the summer where they're going now with it. I, I don't know. Maybe that dialogue has happened after he said that. Um, but yeah, I was, I was a bit shocked by, not by the comments, but you know, by, by the lack of communication, I guess this summer. Yeah. You mentioned Stammer, the captain for nine years, you're the captain in New York and there's certain teams that, um, maybe the captaincy carries a little more weight. Um, you know, it's such a big deal in New York. Yeah. And, um, when you were named captain, uh, yeah. a, what was it like and how did it change how you had to go about things? I mean, it's a, Captain of the Rangers is a big deal. Yeah, it is. And I don't, I guess I don't think I realized how big it was until after I was out of there. <laughs> so with the, you know, right. that's the organization I started with, right, too. So like the attention that we got from the media, um, the fans, I, I mean, I realized it wasn't normal, but that's what I was used to. Um, but so I, when I got named captain, it was, I was going through a contract negotiation at the time in the summer and um, in true slats form, it wasn't very going smoothly and we were going back, <laughs> back and forth constantly. Um, you know, it was me and, uh, it's actually me and Brandon Dubinsky were going through the contract negotiations at the same time. And, um, yeah, we exchanged some funny phone calls between each other about the conversations we were having, but I guess that's for a different podcast. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Torts gave me a call. I, was, I still remember I was in my, my bedroom, um, in my home in Rochester and he called me and he said, Hey, you know, uh, the you know slats wanted me to give you a call and see if you would take this offer you know and I kind of chuckled a bit I'm like you know torts I'm not you know I'm not going to sign for that much and torts kind of chuckled as well he said yeah I probably wouldn't sign for that either but they wanted me to call you <laughs> he goes but I also want to tell you that you better try to figure out something pretty 
effing soon in Torts' fashion because you're going to be captain this year, right? So Ooh. I was absolutely <laughs> blown away. And, you know, we exchanged some words and um, some advice that he gave me that I'll keep between us of what he said. I mean, but, you know, I was – I knew there was an option or a possibility that it could happen. Obviously, you know, Drury left and um, I wore the A and we had a lot of veterans on that team already. But, um, you know, when you hear that, it's it blows you away. I mean, you don't you don't know how to how to respond to it or put into words your emotions. And then I think it hit me as well as when, you know, then when I got to New York, seeing my the C on my jersey. Right. You know, that's uh, that's a pretty cool feeling and something I definitely I didn't take lightly. Um, and then it didn't, the biggest thing for me when I was captain is I tried to not, not change. Right. I, you know, I, I said to everybody in the media then or whatever is, you know, there's a reason why Torts decided to name me captain. And, you know, if I change, I'm not that person anymore. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not the same guy as he named captain. So I tried not to change, obviously more responsibilities. You're an extension of the coach and the players. And, um, which is always interesting under John Tortorella. I love him, but it's always interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was blessed to be able to captain the New York Rangers for, for three years. There's no question about it. You bring up torts and there's, you know, I, I think he's, I've talked to enough guys that have played for him that his public perception and the way that the players that play for him think about him is, is quite different. Now it's not yeah. smooth all the time. Yep. Do you have a one you can share like a favorite torts because he, he's, He's an amazing guy. He's funnier than people think. But yeah. man, if he's if you're on the wrong end of it, it's probably not so great. But you got you got one you can share. Yeah, I mean he's he was good. So but you know me and so Brad Richards signed that summer as well, right? So obviously him and and Tortorella had that history as well, winning together in uh, in Tampa. So I mean me and Richie used to get Torts fired up constantly, um, you know, <laughs> in, in a good way during practices and, and things like that. You know, poking at each other and. So in the training room, you know, there'd be vitamins and stuff hanging out. So Torts always used to come in in the morning and get his vitamins on the counter. But he'd also, you know, look around and, and see who's in the training room, who's on the tables, who's getting treatment, <laughs> right? You know, so we caught on pretty quickly to exactly what he was doing, you know. So um, so he comes in one morning and, you know, he's going to get his vitamins. And ever Richie goes, hey, you know, Jim Ramsey, the trainer at the time, you know, Rammer could get all those vitamins for you and just put them in your office so you don't have to make the walk down here into the training center, right? <laughs> and Torts Bashing turns around and he's like, F off, Richie, I'll go wherever I want to get my vitamins, you know, all pissed off, grabs the vitamins, storms out of the room, and we're all howling laughing, you know. And, but that's the thing about him, though, like, in practice later, he'll come by you and look at you and laugh because he knows, you know, it's all in good fun. And, um, I mean, there's countless stories like that. He's – like you said, I, I owe a lot of my career to Torts. I mean, I was yeah. I had Tom Rennie before him that I, I you know wasn't playing a ton under, and then Torts came in and our my style of game and the way he coached kind of just meshed up, right? So he gave me so many opportunities, put me in every situation. Um, yeah, I owe a lot to Torts in my career, and it's fun playing under him. Callie, talk about how you left New York. Um, I mean, did yeah. you see that coming? I mean, did they, as captain, they give you a heads up uh, or was it one of those things where it just basically boiled down to, all right, here's the situation. We're going to move you and thanks for your service. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long the podcast is again, but um, so <laughs> it was uh, it was a tough year. I mean, I, I think I've, I've talked about it before to yeah. people, but it's uh, it was a very hard year. Obviously, it was a contract year. Um, you know, I, I think we went in a little high. 
Um, they went in a little low and, you know, it, it, throughout that whole year without diving into the, the depths of it, it, it was tough. I mean, we were mm-hmm. back and forth. There's, you know, some things said that, you know, probably shouldn't have been said, um, you know, and it's, uh, it was really tough. And then we got to a point where, you know, they, I had permission to talk to other teams and, and everything else mm-hmm. throughout that year. And, um, you know, as a captain there, I want to stay there. And there's no question in my mind, you know, people second guess that with, you know, everything else. And there's some, some numbers leaked in the paper um, yeah. that, that necessarily weren't true. Um, that kind of, you know, rubbed me the wrong way as well, thinking, you know, trying to turn the fans against me or whatever was happening there. And, it, you know, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't take that very well either. Um, but we got to a point where they signed Dan Girardi probably two weeks, two or three weeks before the deadline. He was kind of in the same situation. And then we got to a point where we agreed to a number. I mean, we agreed to $6 million for six years. Um, and I asked for a no trade clause, a no move clause that they gave Girardi. And obviously with everything else that happened that year with talking to other teams and other things that were happening and the threats of getting traded, um, they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't give it to me. And I, I didn't, uh, I didn't feel comfortable signing, you know, with a young family and signing six years. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. I got shipped out and a sign and trade. Right. Yeah. Um, so about a week leading up to that deadline, uh, communications got completely mm-hmm. cut off. Uh, phone calls were not getting returned. Um, so the writing was kind of on the wall for me, kind of knowing what was going to happen. And then, um, you know, but still on trade deadline day, I remember sitting in the training room and I think it was Bob McKenzie popped up on TSN as we're all watching. And sure enough, it was Marty St. Louis has been traded to the New York Rangers for Ryan Callahan and you see it on TV and the whole training room stops, looks at me. And then probably five seconds later, our, our PR guy comes in. He's like, you know, Slats wants to see you in the, in the, the room or whatever. So, um, so you yeah. found out on TV. I did. I did. I found out uh, in the training room on TV. And then, like I said, 10, 15 seconds later, he comes in, we had a conversation, um, very emotional. I mean, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. It meant everything for me to be a captain for the New York Rangers, like we talked about earlier. So, um, like I said, the writing was on the wall, but it still is a complete shock when it happened. And um, off to Tampa, I went. So down to Tampa, you get John Cooper. I did, uh, yeah. And, you know, it's, Awesome uh, interview the other day, by the way. Yeah, that's good. That, yeah. was, that was really great. It was good. Was yeah. Good. Yeah, that's funny. You said, uh, you know, like be here asking, I like probably pinned me to the bench, didn't you? <laughs> He's great. He's great with those interviews. But yeah, I mean, I told, actually told the story in the Buffalo game we just had against Tampa. And, you know, so I go through all that, right? And I get traded at one. I'm on a flight at seven. I go home. I tell my wife, we have a two-year-old. She's pregnant. I'm like, hey, listen, like, obviously she knew, but I'm like, I just got traded to Tampa. I'm like, I got a 7 p.m. flight. I'm like, you got to figure this apartment out. I'm like, I'm packing a bag, you know, as fast as I can. And then I got you know, the, the media side, my phone is completely blowing up. I have probably 50 missed calls from, you know, TSN and everybody else. And <laughs> I'm trying to screen the calls because I'm still trying to talk to um, Ryan Bellock, the travel guy for Tampa, to try to figure out my flights, right? So I don't know what to answer, what to not answer. So I probably gave him my wife's number to contact my wife. Um, but I fly there. I get to Tampa. You know, I get to the airport and I'm thinking, you know, there's going to be a car service or whatever waiting for me. And, and I get to the baggage claim and you know, it's uh seven o'clock flight. So I probably don't get there till like, you know, 10, 30, 11 PM. And John Cooper standing there at baggage claim, you know, waiting for oh, me. Wow. You know, So I think right that right there just shows how, you know, personable and, and how great he is with the guys. So he, he's standing there. He takes me to the rank with great conversation in the car. 
And then talking about the lightning organization, I, I get to the hotel room and I, I walk into my hotel room and the whole thing is decked out in Tampa Bay lightning gear for my family, for my kids. There's a, there's a bucket of beers. Obviously, I just went through a long day, so I really like to see the bucket of beers sitting there as well. Um, but it's just a just a first class organization awesome. I went to there, and it, uh, you know, and then my agent saying, you know, Steve, Steve Bartlett, my agent that I'm sure you both know, is kind of pushing me towards free agency, and I'm like, you know what, I want to be here. This place is unbelievable. I got a chance mm-hmm. to win. Great city, great teammates. Um, so then, that, that during that summer, I was I was done. You know, signed that six year deal in Tampa. Beautiful. That's uh, that's quite a turn, man. Like, okay, so yeah, I I want to ask you. So you, you've, you've got Coop, you've got Torts um, as, as coaches. Yeah. You think you might go into coaching maybe a little bit. The TV thing comes along. Do you have or did you have any strategy or about doing this or did you just start? Because I had none. I just yeah, none. started. Zero. No zero. Idea. zero. And I guess I modeled it up based on – I guess watching you guys, right? Like watching, watching games or watching studio, you know, shows and things like that. Like, so I kind of knew the premises of, of how it worked, but, um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have any expectations. I mean, maybe I should have, I don't know, but I just kind of <laughs> went in and, you know, it was kind of weird. Like, you know, dregs, like you asked me about talking about old teammates or anything like that and kind of walking that fine line. Um, but I kind of went back to when I was a player. I always respected the the guys who called the game or did studio work as if they were honest, but not not brutal. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they didn't. They're not burying you, but they're honest. Like, yeah. if I had a turnover, I know I had a turnover. Like, you can point it out. Like, you know, you know, but you don't have to bury me. Um, so that's kind of the approach I took walking into it with you know guys that I knew, and I, I mean, still the approach I take now. You know what I mean? Sure. There's no point laying it on. I mean, but also at the same time, if a guy misses an assignment or has a turnover or something happens, he knows it just as well as you do that, you know, he missed it. Well, I, f- I found the hardest part was either not to be a fanboy of yeah. somebody that I did. Like I loved Pavel Datsuk and I had to remind myself that he doesn't need to be in every highlight of, <laughs> of, of every game. And the other part is when I just retired, cause I started the next season. Yeah. Was the guys that hated me and I hated them. I still had to do a game. And I'm like, I kind of, you know, like you had to kind of like park that yeah. over there. Cause I'm sure there's lots of guys that are playing that you're like, yeah, I didn't really like that guy. Yeah. Everybody, everybody loved me though. So I was good there. Oh, yeah, yeah, nice. you, you played such a clean game. Cal. It was up for the lady Bing every year. Yeah. It no just kidding. missed. They just missed. It's fourth place every year. Hey Ryan, we could go on and on. Uh, congratulations on what seems to be a seamless transition for you from oh, you. Uh, playing and, and playing well in the National Hockey League for so many years to being such a solid analyst for ESPN. Great storyteller, by the way. So thanks for taking the time to join us here. Awesome, guys. Thanks for having me on. I, yeah, I stay awake it. tonight. 8.30 start, Callie. Don't fall wow. asleep, man. It's going to be a tough one. You're going to yeah. take a nap here at the old Doubletree. <laughs> oh, can't beat it. Lovely Bristol. Enjoy. Thanks, thanks Callie. Awesome, guys. Thanks. I mean, Ray, maybe you were similar to Ryan Callahan, but, and look, I've interviewed Ryan Callahan a number of times over his playing career. So, you know, the fact he's so articulate and such a good storyteller doesn't surprise me, Um, but it's almost how effortless it is and, and his ability to wrap a story 
which isn't always easy when you're in the middle of that story and, right. and take us through the process. A strong opinion on his thoughts on what Stamkos may or may not be going through with Tampa Bay. And then to reflect on how the trade went down with the New York Rangers to Tampa Bay. This guy's going to knock it out of the park. He already is for ESPN. Yeah, I, I think he's terrific on air, like almost immediately when he started. Um, I think he's... Now, you guys that do studio all the time uh, versus game stuff, I, I prefer the game stuff um, because you're in, the, you're in the middle of it, right? And you don't have time to research and you got to think. And you, I like that part. And I, I think Callie, in doing very few games, is really great already. Like he's yeah. going to be excellent. He's already excellent, but he's going to, man, it's going to, it's, it's right there for him. And I, I love listening to him. He's, he's funny. Mm. He's got a, he's got a funny way about saying things, a really yeah. engaging way. His stories about the, the trade though, Drake's like, that's super intense, man. Not, those are not normal no. days leading up to a trade. No. And just think to get that far, you agree on the six times six. And then the no trade comes up and that blows the deal up. Right. Like that's, uh, th that, that would have been some pretty intense days around there. And, and uh -huh. he really, you know, and again, he did it, as you say, he's a good storyteller, but he, he told it in a way that I think made it feel like you were, you could understand. Yeah. I'm thinking of the Glenn Sather conversations, how intense that must've been. Yeah. And how about sitting in the training room and finding out from Bob? <laughs> Not the first time that happened. Nope. And then everybody's turning around and looking at him and he's like, well, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> News to me. To this so. day, it still surprises me when that stuff happens. All right, buddy. End of the week. So uh, you're getting back home, settled in for the weekend. What what lies ahead for the Ferraro clan? Uh, well, a couple of, oh, it's always soccer's on the always weekend. Soccer. So we'll, yeah. yeah, we'll catch a little bit of that, but we got a, got an off day Sunday and, um, you know, we'll get out and, uh, I think we're, I think we got a little hike planned. I'm going to, unless the weather's too lousy, but yeah, yeah, get a hike in, do a little, get a little outdoors a little bit before it gets too rainy. What about nice. you guys? Um, yeah, kind of the same. Yeah. Not, not jammed up, which is nice, right? In, yeah. in this stage of October, it's nice to, to have a, a bit of a break. So nothing really planned, hoping to watch a little football on Sunday, but, uh, that's pretty much the extent of it. So well, enjoy the weekend and uh, you too. thanks to everybody for listening again, as always, we really appreciate it. And thanks to our sponsors, Ray, who continue to support the rain Breaks hockey podcast, our title sponsor, Canadian club whiskey and Tim Hortons. Thank you. As always, thanks to you for listening, rating, sharing the podcast and for following us on the rain Dregs YouTube channel until next time. Stay safe, everybody.